1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul the Apostle, speaking to a tightly populated part of the Mediterranean, a town called Corinth, a port city that was so cosmopolitan because of the spice trade and the port that people from, is very eclectic, people from all walks of life, the East, the Middle East, different philosophies, different viewpoints. And uh, he goes into that town in that environment with determination. And this is what I'm bringing to you today. My message on Sunday has been the Jesus series. And I'm talking about who he is, what he's done, what, he, what he's doing, what he'll do through you and who you are in him. We're in Christ and, and we're, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And for us, it's not just a philosophy we've embraced. We're not just in cold religious formalism. We're in a relationship with God that Jesus furnished with a spirit of adoption. And I was adopted by my stepdad, and uh, my name was changed. And interestingly, in the mail, when I was about 13 years old, I got a birth certificate that identified him as my dad. He was, all, he was my dad since I was two years old. But what a blessing it was for me to ha- get to inherit his name. Uh, the name of a man that was willing to go the distance with a kid that wasn't his biological child. And our Heavenly Father, however, sent Jesus on a spirit of adoption mission to seek and save that which is lost. And it's so good to be saved. It's so good. You know, I've told you, I was saved from a swimming pool when I was a little kid. I was saved from falling off a cliff twice, stepping on two rattlesnakes been bitten by a brown recluse spider. All kinds of stuff has happened to me, and God has delivered me. Uh, An abortionist went to the house of my parents in San Francisco in the 50s and tried twice to abort me in the bathtub with my mother. She told me this when I was 30 years old in in the 80s, and uh, with a grief in her heart, and, uh, you know, she thought I would be hurt and feel rejection. I already was hurt and felt rejection all along. I just didn't know why. And then at that point when she said it, I thought, well, this is an amazing aspect to my testimony. <laughs> when you're a Christian, you see redemption in things, you know. It's like this is going to work together for good, right? And uh, we don't have to live in the negative. It, it got, we, we believe God will turn stuff around. How many of you have got a testimony and things are turning around in your life? Yes. So just really quick. Paul the Apostle said this, and this is where I'm coming from. Uh, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Uh, And that's what the Middle East and the Mediterranean and Macedonia and Italy and Greece and all those places were used to. Uh, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Socrates, better known as Socrates, if you watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, All these philosophical constructs and all these opinions and all this, you know, sort of heady knowledge. And he says, I just determined not to come with a bunch of embellishment and a bunch of fancy pants argument. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's look at that for a second. It it wasn't that he was dumbing things down. It wasn't that he was just going for something uh, so elementary. But he was going for something elemental, and he was going for something that was the most important information that people could have in life. It's a message of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and who you are in him. 
I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, meaning, man, I want to get this right. I I, want to be on point. And he said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? So that your faith, my faith, our faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, on vain philosophy, on a bunch of argument, a bunch of triviality, but rather our faith would rest on the power of God. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous one man shall live by faith. Say this with me. I walk by faith, not by sight. I walk by faith, not by my feelings. I walk by faith, not by my emotions. I walk by faith, not by what is perceived in the world around me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So it's important that we understand this amazing person named Jesus. And if you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, uh, we'll see Jesus in a similar setting as Paul. Instead of Corinth, he's in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea, the root word is Caesar. It's one of these outposts of the Roman occupation in northern Israel. And it's a gathering place, as is Corinth, uh, where they're there to discuss ideas and, you know, sort of a think tank, an idea exchange environment of debate and discussion. Jesus, when he came into Caesarea Philippi, uh, and he he sat down with the disciples, I think there was an area of water, and it was sort of surrounded by cliffs and uh, sort of created its own natural acoustics so that that they could hear each other. And uh, he, he poses a question. What's the consensus? Who do, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people? What, what's the vibe? What's the, what's the mob mentality? What's, what's the current outlook? And so somebody said, uh, some think you're John the Baptist. He had, just been, he had just been beheaded, and they were thinking he was John the Baptist alive from the dead. And then others think you're Elijah. Elijah was the prophet that had some of the most amazing experiences or Jeremiah, he wrote a terrific, uh, mighty book of, of prophecy during the, the, the period where they were in Babylonian captivity. He's the guy who famously said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah was awesome. 33.3 said, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is for parents raising kids right now. I saw a lot of braces today. God bless the young people in our church. And, um, and, I'm, and you know, I know a lot of you are in from thanks, for Thanksgiving. I'm just welcome. Some of you are having family reunion rows. It's just so nice to be with you today. But I want to tell you, Jesus has a plan that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. In fact, he said, he said this in a question after he heard that, but in verse 15, Uh, But who do you say that I am? This is the big deal, guys. We're not off the hook with generalities. 
he gets to where he looks, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at each one of our hearts. And there comes a time when we have to decide what we believe and get our bearing from that. So Simon Peter speaks up. Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Say that. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Christ is a Greek word, Christos, and it comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. Christ is the Messiah. And uh, that means a lot. When he said that, it wasn't you're one of the prophets or you're one of these guys. He's saying you're it. You know, if you watched uh, The Matrix, Neo was the one, you know. And I'm telling you, Jesus preeminently is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Uh, It says in Acts that there's salvation in no other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And it grieves me when I'm watching a film or I'm flipping channels and they use his name in vain. Or they say GD. It, it just grieves me. I mean, all the other words, they're, they're annoying and, and foul. But boy, that's most foul to me. The misuse of that precious name because it's the name of my Savior. It's the name of my Lord. It's the name of the one who took my sins and took yours and died, suffered and died so that we could be set free and we could know the Father. He's the one who took the filters off and broke the, bond, the, the bonds of sin and broke the barriers and the chains and liberated and set captives free. Hallelujah. That's a name above every name. Hallelujah. I have a friend who's he's now in heaven, but he pastored in Texas, and he was in a line at the grocery store, and somebody was just at a streak of cussing. And he just kept cussing and cussing and cussing all the way through the line. And finally, he just got exasperated. And he said, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Forever. Amen. And the guy went, you know, what's going on? You know, he said, man, if you can say what you want to say, I can say what I want to say. So I say hallelujah. Not, Not to be obnoxious, but just maybe to counter some of the downplaying of Jesus, counter some of the misconceptions of Jesus counter some of the deception so that we can get get it right. This is, guys, the big deal of the big deal is what we do with Jesus. That's the big deal of our lives. And um, we get it right, uh, it's, it's, it's so, it, everything else falls into place. Matthew 6.33, he said, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Can, can I hear it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God forever. Amen. Those are good exclamations. So he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. You're, there's a blessing on the revelation you got. Because flesh and blood, book knowledge, speaking of philosophy, teachers didn't reveal this to you. I'll tell you who did, though. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. You got a revelation. He, he pulled the layers off and let you see this. And you're blessed because of it. Blessed are your eyes that see and your ears that hear. He gives the seeing eye and the hearing ear. Hallelujah. In a world of stupor. Isn't it nice that whoever turns to the Lord, the veil will be removed. Clarity will come. The calluses will come off. Revival is just the calluses coming off of our lives that we get tender again. Harvest amongst the lost is just lost sinners come into acknowledgement of who Jesus is and they experience the new birth. 
Hallelujah. Said you must be born again. It's imperative. It's so critical. And, And Jesus said this, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now in Roman Catholicism, this they feel is the start of the papal, uh, the the Pope uh, orientation, and 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 I don't see it that way. I see it because there are two Greek words, Petras and Petra. If he was saying I'm building my church on Peter, he would have said the same word as rock as he did Peter, whose name means rock, but it's little rock. Uh, so he said to Peter, Petras, upon this rock, Petra. I will build my church. Now, Jesus is the head of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says there's only one foundation. It doesn't say it's Peter. It doesn't say Petros. It says Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. So Peter was amazing. And I thank God for the body of Christ all over the world. And I'm not picking any fights. That's just what I see in the interpretation of that verse. And in fact, it's important because what it's saying is it's upon the rock of revelation of revealed knowledge. And Paul used to pray a lot for the church, and I pray this a lot, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to you, that when you open up your Bible, you get an insight. When you're going through emotional battles, you get breakthrough. When you're dealing with struggles in your marriage or with your kids, a revelation comes as to what to do. When you feel stuck, you feel alone, you're hurting, I know that he is the God of all comfort. He's a very present help in the time of need. And whoever calls on his name will be saved. Hallelujah. That's that name, man. That's that name. And, you know, the Perez's know that. Uh, The Perry's know that. The Nelson's know that. You guys know this. God's brought you into this moment to get a a re-grounding and a settling on. That's my Jesus. And, and, you know, he, he does... He only, he's so good, he only does wondrous things. And, and I, I want to just share a little litany of things with you. He says, uh, uh, you know, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Amen. Do you know you have the victory? Yeah. I said, do you know you have the victory? Yeah. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? Like, I preached this one time in California. 1992, I was speaking at the... Uh, the uh, Campus Crusade for Christ headquarters in uh, Arrowhead up up there in the San Bernardino Mountains. And I was preaching to a bunch of writers, directors, producers, actors, entertainers in the uh, meeting that had been started by Dr. Bill Bright, and I was invited to be their speaker at a retreat. My wife and I were there. She was pregnant with Kingston, who was one of our worship leaders. And... um, we, we, I was speaking to these guys, and most of them were like Presbyterian, and they were denominational Christians, and they had laptops out. They were writers, you know, and they're sitting there on their laptops, and I'm preaching to them, and they're dead silent, and I'm preaching and flailing my arms and leaping like a gazelle and running back and forth. And, uh, you know, the one guy said, excuse me, what does it mean to live in the victory? And, and I went, and then I realized that I was assuming they understood the vibrancy of the faith. And a lot of them were coming from more liturgical or quieter or more reserved kind of settings or maybe not even ever having experienced the new birth. So then I began to try to explain that he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I I began to explain out of Luke chapter 4, 
verse 18, where the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me uh, to bring good news uh, to, to, to the gospel to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Well, you could still hear a pin drop. So I preached and preached these sessions, you know, and they would ask me questions. What does it mean to live in sin? Now, but what is sin? Remember that one lady said, they interrupted me through the whole meeting. And I was like, "Uh, well, let me get back to you on that. Or, you know, well, what really is sin? You know, so it's that kind of thing. Okay, we went to bed. Third story of a concrete uh, hotel. I think there's a Humphrey Bogart movie that had been filmed there. I think it was either the Treasure of Sierra Madre or the, uh, the what's the Falcon one? The Baltese Falcon. It was one of those. And then also, Elizabeth Taylor had her 15th or 16th honeymoon there. So uh, it, was, it was beautiful. It was 1930s, you know. It was concrete. And we were up on the third floor, and we're laying there in bed, and all of a sudden, it starts shaking. And I got out of bed. And my wife was laying there, and she, she, wake, she was awakened later than me by a minute. And I was over at the window, looking out the window. The, they had those old-time metal uh, blinds, you know, with the cloth strips in the middle of them. And I picked them up like that, you know, and it makes a sound. And I looked out the window, and I saw the Transformers blowing up on the tops of the power poles down the street, down at the base of the hill. And I, I, I knew from growing up in California, it was an earthquake. So my wife said, she thought I was rolling around in bed because she said, I'm, I do that, you know. So she thought, that's nothing new. I, she said I would sit up and preach and pray in the spirit and stuff like that and uh, wake her up, you know. So she said, he, you know, she thought it, I was the one shaking the bed. So what is it? I said, it's an earthquake. What should we do? Get your clothes on and let's get out of here. So we got dressed real fast. She's about eight months pregnant or so. We go barreling down this. St- Don't take the elevator. We barreled and it's, the building's going and it was violent. We got down out of the building. We got out in the parking lot, and we turned around, and the building was shaking. There were cracks going through it, and we ended up being just miles. The, the epicenter was in uh, Big Bear, which is right near Arrowhead. It, of all the earthquakes I've experienced, the farther away you are, the more rolling it feels. The closer you are to the epicenter, the more jolting it is. This was jolting. And we got out in the parking lot and spent the rest of the night, like three, four hours until 4 o'clock in the morning, waiting until it was okay to go back into the building as the aftershocks had stopped. And uh, it, it, there was a guy in forest green briefs, and that's all he was wearing. And he was one of the guys in our, he was one of the guys that was a, a writer. He was a writer in Hollywood. And, and his name was Steve Urkel. And that what they do out there, I, I learned this, that they'll, they'll take names of their friends or their family. Uh, like, I, I know who the Mona is of Mona Simpson. She's, she's, the bro, she's the sister of Steve Jobs. I knew, because I met her, uh, the, the, her husband. So they, they name their characters after, after these people. So Steve Urkel, in his, in his forest green briefs, and that's all he was wearing. He kept, all through the night, he kept going, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because he forgot to put his clothes on. And he was so, he's so conservative. He was such a nerd. And, no, he's not anything like the Steve Urkel of the TV. So why did I share all that? Because the cold 
Church of the Frigid Air after that earthquake. I came back the next day preaching about Jesus, preaching about victory. And they had their laptops shut and they were going, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Instead of raising their hands going, uh, excuse me, uh, what do you really think about, you know. It's like, and, and then, the, then we would we were, had these pane glass windows and they would start to shake. Right, like right in the middle of me preaching, it would start. And they go, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Tell us more about the victory, Pastor Jeff. He's the sinner's savior. He's the one who was obedient to the Father. In John 4, 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He, he even prayed at the end of his life, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus came to do God's will. Jesus came to fulfill the law. It says in Matthew 5, 17, he didn't come to abolish the law. He, come to, he came to fulfill the law. He, he uh, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill Jesus came to eradicate the sin condition. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why it's so critical to relate to him and identify with him. It's as though we all went to a breakfast restaurant after church and I wanted to pay the bill for you. So we all went into the tables and then we're all getting up and getting our jackets and our sweaters and stuff, getting ready to go. And I've already gone to the cash register to pay. But you start walking by the cash register and the clerk is confused and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you need to pay your bill. All you have to do is say, I'm with him. Everybody say, I'm with him. Say, I'm with him. See, that's salvation. When you receive Jesus, you, you, he gives you the right to become a child of God and to trust him and to believe in him. Jesus uh, came to seek and save that which is lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He, he'd leave all the sheep to go get the one stray sheep. He cares about your situation. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Hmm. Jesus came to set the captives free. I told you that out of Luke chapter 4. That's his job description. He came to destroy the works of the devil, it says in 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the work of the evil one. You watch the news lately? You see the behaviors of humanity? You see uh, evil and harshness, wars and rumors of wars? As it was in the days of Noah, so too shall it be when the Son of Man returns. We are closer to the edge of Jesus' second coming than ever. There will be a rapture which will precede it. There will be a tribulation which will occur. Then there will be a second coming and the establishment of amazingness of God's kingdom. But right now, for you that are saved, the kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. What does that mean? It's not a bunch of obligatory do's and don'ts. This is a relationship-oriented thing. God has called us to walk with him and to know him. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's why I'm preaching about this. I'd like to pull up, uh, That's My King, if we could find it, by Lockbridge. If you can get that pulled up, I'd like to present that at the end of the service. I'm, I'm doing good. I've got, I've got a couple minutes. You guys, are you good? Can I hear some hallelujahs from the... This is, yeah, this isn't the church of the Frigidaire. 
the frozen chosen. Jesus came to establish the new covenant. We just had the communion and we affirmed the new covenant. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. Jesus said, this cup is the covenant of my blood. It's the new covenant. The new covenant. Everybody say the new covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. And they're beautiful covenants. Uh, they're beautiful, sophisticated, detailed commitments. His obligatory, loyal love toward his people is still intact today because it's an everlasting covenant. But we're in a new covenant. And in fact, it says this in Hebrews 8, 6, uh, that it's actually enacted, a new covenant enacted on better promises. Better promises. Hebrews 8, 6. Hebrews 8, 6. It's inaugurated or enacted on better promises. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant. You know, uh, unions go and strike to get better uh, uh, provisions, you know, and uh, make sure that they're being that they're, they're being fairly represented and taken care of, and so forth. And uh, we just saw one with the entertainment professionals. We just saw one with the automotive industry. Those things happen in France. They are all the protesters protest about the protesters. So I mean, it's just like they're they're like they've got the market cornered on on strikes, and. Uh, but we don't have to strike. We don't have to stand and stomp our feet and wave our, 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 our placards and be mad at everybody. We're not mad at God because God said, whoa, chill out, people. I've already made provision for you. I've already, you just need to study the manual and read what the, what the provisions are and, and the benefits, the litany of benefits. He's inaugurated a new covenant on better promises, better promises. Hallelujah. Never have to strike because he's already the one that's responsive. In fact, oftentimes they don't need to strike because there's fairness on all sides, but they just pick a fight to pick a fight. Sometimes it is off balance and things need to be attended to. But in the case of the kingdom, God, he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. James chapter 1 says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above. I learned when I was a teenager that in Psalm 84, 11, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't withhold. He is a blessing. God oriented toward blessing. The, the God, it says the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Boy, do we need both of those. Look at this. Say it out loud with me. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yeah, the walk uprightly is a caveat. It's important that we walk with God. And, but it's not earned and it's not deserved. In fact, I believe he's in order to keep the blessings from being blocked in our lives, he's telling us to walk in love and walk by faith and walk in obedience, right? And I'm glad you're here at church. I'm glad we're attending this service. I'm glad we're hearing the word of the Lord today. I'm being edified by what I'm hearing come out of my own mouth. Because it's true, Jesus is the king who never changes. Who doesn't withhold? He's, he was the healer in the New Testament. Even people who think the gifts of the Spirit have ceased acknowledge that during Jesus' ministry, he healed and healed and healed and healed. I tell you that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, I'm a continuationist. I believe he keeps going and going and going. And what we read in the Bible is available for us today. 
And why? Why did Jesus come? John 3, 16. Put it up on the screen. I know you know it by heart. Let's say it. This is our message to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Listen to this important one for all the legalists. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved, that the world might be saved, that the world might be saved through Him, by Him. He's a Savior. He's strong. He's not weak toward us. You know, I got saved in November of 1972, and in April of 1972, fellow California singer uh, uh, Larry Norman, who was hanging out at, at the church I've preached at, Hollywood Presbyterian, they let this, these bunch of hippies come in, and uh, God was moving in a mighty way at that young time. I got saved just a few months later, but this album was released, and this is the kind of thing God was doing in pop culture. He was a poet, he was a songwriter, and he wrote a song called The Outlaw, and uh, on his album, I'm Only Visiting This Planet. <laughs> He had long, flowing, blonde hair, and he had a high-pitched voice, and he had good writing. And he said, some say he was an outlaw, that he roamed across the land with a band of unschooled ruffians and a few old fishermen. No one knew just where he came from or exactly what he'd done, but they said it must be something bad that kept him on the run. Some say he was a poet, that he'd stand upon a hill, that his voice could calm an angry crowd and make the waves stand still. That he spoke in many parables that few could understand. But the people sat for hours just to listen to this man. Some say he was a sorcerer, a man of mystery. He could walk upon the water, he could make the blind man see. That he conjured wine at weddings and did tricks with fish and bread. That he talked of being born again and raised people from the dead. Some say a politician who spoke of being free. He was followed by the masses on the shores of Galilee. He spoke out against corruption, and he bowed to no decree. And they feared his strength and power, so they nailed him to the tree. Some say he was the Son of God, a man above all men, that he came to be a servant and set us free from sin. And that's who I believe he is because that's what I believe. And I think we should all get ready because it's time for us to leave. That's the context in which I got saved. Boy, did the devil hate that guy. Tried to shut him up. I talked to another musician recently, the battles he's gone through. I'm a pastor to musicians. I get it. They tell me, you know, you just, I, I call them right on time. We pray together. These are our minstrels. These are the people that carry what the, Lucifer forfeited. They pick up the music. And uh, Larry Norman said, why should the devil have all the good music? I remember, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? <laughs> he said that the devil always has the good music. Oh, what was that guy's name? Um, dressed up like a girl uh, in the 70s. David Bowie, yeah, yeah. David Bowie just did, did it to make popularity become popular. Um, 
he said the devil always has all the good music. And then Larry Norman said, why should the devil have all the good music? There's coming a move where there'll be creativity that will surge, that will focus on Jesus. We'll see a, another cycle of it and give another opportunity for the 8 billion population to get another opportunity to listen to who Jesus is. And I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching in the church here because we're the body of Christ and we need to know what we know and, and have a strong understanding of why we believe what we believe. There's so much algorithm directing toward rabbit holes of all kinds of distortion, and it's important that we beat a hard path to this book and get our information from the wonderful Word of God. Well, can you trust it? Yes, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so the man or woman or child of God can be adequate, sufficient for every good work. Hallelujah. Second Timothy, what is that? Let's go back to that. So all scripture is, say this with me, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Look at this. So the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Listen, we're giving away groceries. We've been doing it for 20 some years. We're getting ready to we just sent Joe McCall and Patrick Hamrick to go to Houston, Texas. A grocery company has this amazing benevolence where they got a 57-foot tractor trailer and retrofitted it with beautiful uh, commercial ovens and uh, tips, tip uh, tilt skillets and uh, griddles and the means to cook. They cook for about 15 or 20,000 people for Thanksgiving. They have ability to get food, and they just turned it into good, delicious meals and bless people in need. And, I, be, I, you know, we've become proficient going through the flood of 93 to deal with the tornado in Joplin or the hurricane at Katrina or the tsunami over there in Sri Lanka. God has empowered this local church on a thinking level to know how to address nas- national and international crises. We went into the war in Kosovo broken people and help those the ethnic Albanians, the Albanians, mainly Muslims, to get back on their feet after being attacked in such an evil and harsh genocidal way. God anoints the church for occasions like this, and we are the people that are called out of darkness to show forth his marvelous light. We are a city set on a hill and we cannot be hidden. We're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And it says in Ephesians 2.10 that you and I, we are his workmanship, that we're created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You know, I pray for you guys. I prayed for Daryl the other day. I'll, I'll walk around and I'll get people in my spirit and I'll start praying for them. On Friday night, we had videos of, of thankfulness of people being healed from one lady from breast cancer, another lady from a deep vein thrombosis, Uh, Joe McCall from a heart condition that could have been fatal. They said he had the heart of a 75-year-old, and he's only 49. God mercifully delivered him. God mercifully saved him. And uh, another couple that would believe God for housing, and they got a house. Our beautiful Steve and Addison sharing and coming through, just having had the tragedy of a miscarriage in the second trimester. You know, we're we're not projecting some artificiality here. Well, we go through battles. We, 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 many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And the Christianity I know is not escapism and it's not denial. We're called out of darkness and we're called to business. 
And we're called to understand under the headship of Jesus that we have a place in this world, that this world has gone terminally nuts, and people need Jesus. You must be born again. And it's not that we're beating, brow-beating people, Bible-thumping. It's that please call on Jesus. Call on him. You get this one shot. There's only one shot. It's while you're alive on earth. Call on the Lord. Do we have that Lockbridge? T- uh, can, we, can we play that? I'll close with this. This man has passed away, but some of his followers loved his message so much, they put it together. It's just a quick few minutes. It's about, that's my king. I'm talking about Jesus today. Everybody say Jesus. Let's enjoy this together. The Bible says my-